The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hello, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thanks for joining me. Today on Psych Up Live, we're going to be talking about something we never stop talking about, diet and weight loss. An estimated 45 million Americans go on a diet each year, and many Americans spend a lot of money every year on weight loss products. With all this effort and expense, why are so many people unable to lose weight? Our guest today is going to answer this question and more. Our guest is Dr. Christopher Calipai, New York City osteopathic physician, who's going to help us dispel the diet myths and offer an understanding of sound weight loss practices. Dr. Calipai is board certified in family medicine and anti-aging medicine. He uses a comprehensive medical nutritional approach to evaluate underlying causes of medical problems that patients present with. He is a leader in the field of stem cell therapy in the U.S. His stem cell treatments have achieved remarkable results in clinical trials on patients with conditions as varied as Alzheimer's, arthritis, erectile dysfunction, lupus, MS, kidney and liver failure. He has been a medical consultant for the New York Ranges and is the host of the radio show, The Optimum Health Radio Program, which airs in New York Saturdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and on WABC Sundays, 6 to 7 p.m. His practice is in Garden City. Dr. Calipe, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so what is this mystery we have? We have people dieting with all kinds of diets, people buying all kinds of things, and they're not losing weight. What actually is going on, do you think? Well, part of the problem, I think, traditionally people are conditioned to think that we should take a pill, we should read a book, we should do something quick and easy to change the problems that we have. And it really doesn't hold true when we talk about medical problems or weight loss. We have to understand that there are reasons why the body is not burning fat and that our body over time is aging and with age comes declining hormone uh, levels and low levels of thyroid, adrenal hormone, testosterone could also make it harder to burn fat. People here also, instead of preparing food and understanding what they're getting in terms of nutrients, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, and oils, They quickly grab something to eat, and they're just eating on the fly and not really looking at what they're doing. So we need a more in-depth understanding of why the body is changing. So I Go ahead. Yeah, I I I tell people there are four things that control your body fat. And number one is your exercise status. If you're doing no exercise, then your muscles don't have much of an ability to create a reason to burn fat and Mm -hmm. sugar and cholesterol and triglycerides. Number two, we need to cut down carbohydrates because all the sugars that we're eating in excess make it hard to get to the fat to burn it as a primary fuel. Mm -hmm. Uh, That also raises triglycerides, cholesterol, and makes people pre-diabetic and at some point diabetic. We also need to look at hormone and vitamin levels. So there are four things to look at when you want to consider how your body is or isn't burning fat. You know, one of the things people say to me when they hear this is, of course, they believe it, and then they're not sure what to do. And one of the things we've seen, and I know you've written about, is people get derailed because of the myths of what they read or what they hear about from other people. So, for instance, someone will say, if I work out, I should be able to eat anything I want because I'm burning so much fat. 
Okay, yeah. so what 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 are they that's a, missing that's a big on that myth. one? You know, people think, oh, I'll work out and I'll eat what I want because they want to be satisfied mentally with what they're eating. They don't want to be restricted right. in any way. But you can't just eat whatever you want and exercise unless you're going to be some sort of marathon runner or marathon cyclist because the calories from fat, the calories from carbohydrates, the sugars will make it hard for your body to burn weight. Why add more of the calories on when you're trying to burn down body fat? So you can't eat whatever you want. You have to do mm -hmm. exercise. And I think even every day you should do a half hour to 45 minutes of uh, activity, even if you walk around the block briskly, that right. would be good, you know, but right. you, you have to tone those, you know, calories and carbs down and keep the exercise up. I'm so glad you mentioned walking because sometimes people think they do have to be runners, cyclists, swimmers, and if they really were just walking, and I tell people walk with other people, it would be such an important addition to whatever sure. else they're doing. Now, sure. we've all seen, you can't be in the supermarket and not read, Dr. Calipari, in every journal you can lose 10 pounds in two weeks. And some people say, oh, yeah, I've, I've done it. I've, look, at, look at my waist. Now, what is the problem with that kind of a diet? Well, you shouldn't put unrealistic goals or shouldn't put numbers, uh, you know, in front of you just to, to try to force your body to do something. Because in many cases, those, you know, weight loss schemes for the two weeks are, A, not going to last. B, they probably won't get they hit that mark. C, they're probably taking risk with their health by radically changing their diet or not eating or just drinking water, et cetera. Right. So I think people should understand it's a process that takes time. And if you do each of these areas that we understand and we talk about, walk every day, cut your carbohydrates and some of the fats down, you know, have six to eight glasses of water a day, get a blood test done for your vitamins, your minerals, your hormones, et cetera you'll be able to understand the mechanism behind it and you'll get a far greater benefit and you'll make yourself more healthy in the long run. So you're really saying being informed makes a difference. Now, I know sure. that one of the things that you wrote is that to lose one pound, you need to eliminate 3,500 calories in the course of a week. So now, mm -hmm. how could a person think about that realistically? It's hard, and I try not to get people to be too technical about it because it confuses them. Okay. So typically I'll say, and, and of course it's various with age. The older we get, the harder it is to burn fat because our hormones are a little bit lower. I'll mm -hmm. tell them what I want you to do is follow this diet pattern. Keep your carbohydrates to 30 grams or below per day. I want you to have some berries for breakfast. You can have yogurt. You could have a little snack between breakfast and lunch. And you could have a protein shake that's low-carb or protein bar, salad with nuts, vegetables. You could have squash, greens, peppers, chicken, turkey, fish, lamb, pork. So we set up a diet for them, and we're keeping the sugars and the fats down to a minimum so your body has a far greater ability to burn fat as a primary fuel. So we have them track how they feel, track their weight. Invariably, when they cut the carbs out and the grains and the starches, they're bloating and indigestion goes away. They write that down. If I tell them to exercise, the very least I'll say is that they should walk around the block, you know, walk comfortably to the first corner, then briskly to the next corner, then faster, comfortable, fast, comfortable, fast, fast, so that they're getting their body to acclimate to a newer level of activity. And then they can write down how they feel as a result of that. So it becomes very rewarding when you start to see and feel your body doing that much better. Now, some people feel so demoralized from so many diets they've failed that they don't know how to start again. And there's been a lot of talk about these cleansers and detoxes. What, what do you think about them and what do you think is well, a good first step? I think that they're problematic and they can create more of a problem than they could help. Remember okay. that all the people that are searching for this or some non-medical personnel that are telling them to do this or do that, do not have a physical exam, do not have blood work, looking at electrolytes, vitamins, minerals, and hormones of these individuals. So they're putting themselves on some sort of restricted plan, maybe using supplements or you know fiber or otherwise, without understanding anything that's going on in your body. So I'm not a fan of these manipulated cleanses or detoxes because in some cases, if you really become deficient in calcium, magnesium, potassium, 
or any of your other vitamins, your immune system could be weaker or affected by it. Your heart electrical rhythm and capacity can be affected by low magnesium, potassium, calcium. So I think the entire process should start with a good evaluation by the medical doctor. Okay. And let's support that as as our premier first step. But if I'm listening to the show, what would you say is the first thing I should do? Should I write down everything I eat? Should I drop sugar out for a week? What are some first First steps? thing is to take a, and make your own chart or get a calendar. Okay. And then write down everything you're eating, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, Great. every day. Mm. And you also want to write down the fact that you're doing the exercise every day. You're walking every day for a half hour or sitting on an exercise bike or riding a bicycle outdoors. You know, there are any number of things you can do to track what you're doing day to day because for just about everybody, you don't have in front of you or in your mind you know, the memory of what you had for the last two or three weeks worth of a diet and how much exercise you did or didn't do. So we need to put it on paper so it becomes more real. And then if we tell people to cut the carbohydrates down and they plan out what they're going to have for breakfast every day and they plan out what they're going to have for lunch or dinner or snacks, you're now creating a plan that's visual. It's obvious. It makes sense. And it's reinforced by the fact that you're making notes on how your body's doing as well. I think that that's so true. As soon as it becomes visual and real, if a person's writing down two bagels and then no lunch and then donuts in the afternoon, that's going to be a real good feedback message. Sure. Sure. Um, And anyone I know, many people have used these Fitbits. Once people actually start recording steps, it's an interesting thing. The momentum takes over. especially when they do it with other people, and it becomes such a rewarding way to add that exercise in. Yeah, invariably, when people count, oh, I just, I almost went to 8,000 steps. Let me do a little bit more today to get to that 8,000 or 10,000. So it's rewarding. It gives you that feedback that that you like and you need and you know. You could look at your heart rate while you're walking, et cetera. So I love these additional ways to understand, you know, what your body's doing. And again, to reinforce it by writing it down, having it in your phone. There are some people that buy these apps on their phone and they can mm-hmm. track what they're eating for breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, how many calories, how much fat, how many carbs. That's a great idea because it's right in your phone. So let me ask you this. Um, sometimes a couple will say, we're going to diet together. And, mm-hmm. and so they begin cutting out sugar and they eat a, a, they, they both take the potatoes or the carbs out of the dinner um, meal, and he's losing, she's not losing. And then mm-hmm. they get very, one or the other gets demoralized. They start to question, should we, are we allowed to have a glass of wine? So my first question is, do men and women, in fact, differ in terms of what works for them and diet sure. and weight loss? Well, you know, historically, men obviously have far more testosterone. You know, for a man in most ages, testosterone levels could be anywhere between 500 to 1,000, and that's a great fat burner, especially if you exercise. And men typical, typically have more muscle mass, and when you activate those muscles, they will burn fat and sugars far faster uh, than someone that might be a man that would have less muscle mass or lower levels of hormone. When you look at women, the estrogen that they have tends to maintain fat a little bit more and they don't have much testosterone. Their levels probably should be between 50 to 60 or 70 uh, throughout their life. So it may take a little bit more effort or a little tighter diet for a woman to lose the fat the same way as the man. So I don't want people to sort of try to, you know, vie against each other. I think I want them to be supportive of each other and help them to get the result. Well, just knowing what you just said is an important um, clarifying, you know, perspective that would help someone not blame themselves or, as you say, pit themselves against somebody else. Um, In terms of people who say, um, do you think I can diet and still have a glass of wine or where would I get, how would I deal with my sugar craving? Well, the glass of wine is never really a problem, you know, uh, because it is a relatively low uh, exposure to carbohydrate. You know, there are drinks that are 
you know, made with fruit juices and all this other stuff. And those are far, far worse because their carbon take is that much higher. I don't think overwhelmingly for the patients that I've seen that say, hey, can I have a glass of wine? I say, sure, you can have a glass of wine at night. That's not going to create a problem for you. It's just when they're eating, you know, cereal for breakfast and a sandwich for lunch or bread or pizza or pasta, potatoes, rice, you know, all these other things uh, that their levels are just going way out of control. So okay. people can have the glass of wine. I don't ever think that that's an issue. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have to take a break. But what do you recommend for people who say they just crave sugar and need well, they're, some sort they're, of... Yeah. They're craving they sugar some because sort of they, they eat too much carbohydrate. They're training their body to make extra insulin. So when you eat a high-carb food, your blood sugar goes up high. And if you've done that for months or years... Your body's now making more insulin than years past, which knocks your sugar down lower, which makes you crave. If you ah. back down on the carbs and you eat something every three hours that's not carb, your body will have a little bit of food. You're not asking for insulin. A couple hours later, a little bit of food, not asking for insulin. So there's no reason to have low blood sugar. So that's the way to break that low blood sugar mechanism in hypoglycemia. Which is to eat a lot of little meals during the day, but of good yep. things like grain, protein, Okay, well, maybe we'll come back with some examples. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Christopher Calipay. And Dr. Calipay is an osteopathic physician, board certified in family medicine and anti-aging. He looks at the whole patient. He does a comprehensive medical nutritional approach to understand what's going on. And as you've been listening, he has a wealth of knowledge about Good ideas for weight loss as opposed to, so we're talking about some of the myths that we're dispelling. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. All round the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea, to Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you're considering adoption, there are a lot of questions that you may have which need to be answered by families that have adopted, by the adoptees themselves, and by professionals. Tune in to Adoption Unscripted with your host, Micah Johnson. We bring you many of the answers you're looking for. There are so many resources and advocates in the field of adoption. It's a life-changing experience across the board. We hope you'll tune in every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. 
That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We are speaking with Dr. Calipe about dieting. That is, we're trying to dispel some of the myths that we all get derailed by and make sense of some sound diet and weight loss advice. Dr. Calipe and I were just talking about the confusion that some of the diet advice has given, which is just eat a lot of little things all day um, and you'll definitely lose weight. Now, Dr. Calipe, let's let's think about and talk about what are the kinds of things we should do if we are going to do that, and is it a good idea to eat all day? Well, first of all, it's a great idea to have smaller amounts of food and to separate that into five or so different meals, small meals a day, because it's easier for your body to break down and digest with your production of digestive enzymes in the hydrochloric acid. So for most people, I say, don't go and have that big buffet breakfast because it's going to kill you. It's creating a problem for you because you're having way too many calories, way too much carbohydrate uh, and fat, and your body's not going to be able to burn it down. So I typically tell people, have a little something for breakfast. You can have uh, Greek yogurt, you know, low-carb yogurt. You can slice some of your own strawberries or organic strawberries in that, or you could have a protein shake for breakfast, or you could have a couple of eggs with maybe Swiss cheese and scrambled eggs and some tomato. There, you're really not getting any carbohydrate, but you're getting enough food to have some sustenance. And within that time between breakfast and lunch, if you feel like you need a little snack, you can have some nuts. You could have a protein bar, a protein shake. Uh, for lunch, you could have a salad, and that salad can be a variety of different things, radicchio, endive, arugula. You can put sesame, sunflower seeds in that. Um, so it's relatively easy to sort of put some of these things together if you plan it. And, you know, your afternoon snack could be either protein shake or low-carb protein bar. Uh, you could have a big glass of water for an afternoon snack or maybe a glass of lemon water, ice water. You could then for dinner have any of the vegetables that are good for you that aren't, you know, high-carb. Uh, broccoli, escarole, kale, kohlrabi, uh, Brussels sprouts, spinach, peppers. I mean, there are lots of restaurants now that are also making what I would call these low-carb combination salads that work very well. Yes. And you can get peppers, broccoli, cabbage uh, chopped up. You can put it with a little bit of uh, spicy seasoning if you like. And, you know, that'll satisfy your body. And then, you know, you, you're eating foods that are good for you, but you're not overloading with, you know, fat and, uh, you know, carbohydrate and sugar. So if I was a really beginner and I really had to lose a great deal of weight, which meal would you focus on as my first healthy meal? What's the most important meal with respect to dieting and weight loss? Well, it's not as though there's a most important meal, but you want to start the day with protein because if you start the day with carbohydrate and your blood sugar goes up and you dump insulin, you're going to crave all day long. You're going to eat too much all day long. So every meal is important, obviously, because I'm looking at it from the standpoint of your cells, getting vitamins and minerals and fiber and good, good things getting into your body. Good meals are full of the vitamins, and that's why we say a food is good because it has vitamins or fiber or it's got good hydration or, or water in that. So typically I tell people to have a little bit of something for breakfast, nothing that's too big. You could, as I said, you could have a couple of eggs. You could have Swiss cheese. Within the eggs, you could have some tomato. You could have uh, Greek yogurt. You could have a protein shake. It's just a small amount of food for breakfast and something small between breakfast and lunch and the same thing throughout the day. So one of the things you're really saying hidden in there is this, you know, this culture has been conditioned to pour cereal out of a box into a bowl. Yeah. And yep. that really, really sets us in a downhill um, sure, kind the of worst descent. Thing you could do. Yeah. The worst yeah. thing you could do. Okay. So we really, you have some really nice alternatives there. And uh, it becomes a matter of, trying it out, and if you do that in combination with writing things down, you, sure. you're going to launch this a little bit better. Now, yeah, sometimes- there are some great low-carb recipe books out there as well that you could take a look at, and, you know, there are professional chefs that will make low-carb recipes, and for dinner, you could have uh, butternut squash and uh, fish or uh, lamb or pork or, you know, 
there's so many things to have that we get a little bit of the carb, you know, two or three grams, five grams, six grams, but it's not creating a problem for you all day. Mm. You know, so you mentioned like um, shakes. All sorts of foods they didn't have before. Yeah, you mentioned shakes, and I will tell you, two young women who who I know ended up thinking that smoothies were a, yeah. a valuable thing in terms of diet and uh, health. And actually, they both ended up being told they were pre-diabetic. So we yeah. got to really watch what's in some of these smoothies, I imagine, in terms sure. of the sugar and whatever else is put in. Unfortunately, when people make a smoothie, uh, which is different from like the green drinks when people do vegetable juicing with cucumber or spinach or kale and maybe put half an apple in it, that's not a problem. But when people make a smoothie, you know, a banana or an apple and orange, some of these fruits have 30, 40 grams of sugar, carbohydrate in it. So mm-hmm. some people are making a smoothie that's got 100 grams of carbohydrate or sugar in it. So that's okay. really, I mean, it may make them energetic for the moment, but then when they produce the insulin, they dump their insulin down, you know, the sugar's dropping down, they're exhausted. So just as we're talking about it, maybe explain to our listeners the whole glucose um, insulin balance. Yeah. It's important because, you know, the human body was made to take different foods in at different times. And when you take in things that are very high in sugar, your blood sugar starts to go up. The faster it goes, the more your body becomes active in making insulin to grab that sugar, stuff it into the cells lining your blood vessels. So it's meant to keep your sugar from going too high and causing, you know, immediate damage, like in, as, as can happen with diabetics. When your mm-hmm. pancreas isn't working, your sugar skyrockets, you can go into diabetic coma. So mm-hmm. if you train your body with every meal and every week and month and year to have so much carbohydrate, your pancreas is getting exhausted making all this extra insulin. As that is happening, you become low, blood, low hypoglycemic or have low blood sugar, and you'll end feel up, you'll end feel up anxious, uh, uh, irritable, even panicky or depressed. So we have to block that cycle. If you have mm-hmm. small amounts of foods and you're not overloading with the sugars, your body's really not making that much insulin, so you can't have low blood sugar and get into that that scene. So the real culprit is that the higher the sugar goes, the harder the pancreas works with producing insulin, and pretty soon that's a very dangerous situation, and that's where we start to get right. close to the you know, the pre-diabetic, the type 2 diabetics, Correct. which is such a and problem in this country. lies the psychological mechanism of the bad diet, because if you eat the sugars and you feel good for the moment, when your blood sugar crashes, you know, anywhere between three to four or five or six hours later, you're anxious, irritable, panicky, you're craving food. You'll eat anything that has a sweet taste just to bring your sugar up. So that's your body's mechanism. When your sugar is very low, your body is told... Uh, and you think, you know, uh, mentally, I need some sugar to get that feeling to go away. So that's when you crave more sugar and you're in this vicious cycle. So that's where the psychological component comes in. But as you keep your carbs down and you have, you know, your proteins and vegetables throughout the day, you don't end up having low blood sugar. So that psychological component is gone. I see. It's great. It's great the way you're saying it. Mm-hmm. So... That being said, let's let's bring up the other question, because this is not only a culture that never stops eating, sometimes not the greatest food, all of us, but we are not good at sleeping. We have a lot of insomnia in this culture, and we have a lot of craving for what you would describe as some of the worst type of foods. In fact, someone, someone mentioned that Tacos advertises the 4 a.m. order as the fourth meal. Um, And so what is the connection between sleep deprivation, the craving for food, and actually weight gain? Well, part of what happens, and just as you can become hypoglycemic during the day, after a breakfast, lunch, or a dinner meal, people will tend, if they're eating carbs at dinner, to have some low blood sugar episode a couple of hours after dinner. So they'll be craving right before they go to bed. When they crave carb and they eat carb, that's just setting that 3 to 4 o'clock in the morning low blood sugar to make them wake up. Mm. And all of this with the carb is making them gain weight because they're not burning fat. So cholesterol, triglycerides, LDL go up. Weight goes up. Blood pressure goes up. As your weight goes up, it also can make you snore because people that have a bigger neck, men and women, 
but typically men who have a 16-inch neck or greater might be more prevalent to have sleep apnea, which would make them snore, and you're not getting good, deep, rapid eye movement or REM sleep, so you're waking up feeling very hungry, you're waking up without, you know, having restful sleep, and you feel horrible. So that weight gain and that poor sleep pattern sort of cycles on itself, just like the sugar and insulin cycles on itself, and you get yourself into a really bad spot. Mm. But that's all reversible, as we say. Right. So let me ask for, if if we had somebody who just had to take a job with the night shift, Dr. Calipai, and they said, what can I do to prevent myself from what they say is the extra 10 pounds that people who are sleep deprived, just by reason sometimes their rhythms are off, we're not meant to work all night. What could that yeah. person do in terms it's of diet? It's the same idea, just restrict the carbohydrates and, mm-hmm. you know, get your sleep when you get off work. You know, don't stay up, watch TV, etc. like so many people do. When you go to sleep, go to sleep. Black out the room, get the little covers over your eyes so that there's no light, you know, stimulating you or waking you up. And you've got to get the exercise and low carb in there because then your body will burn the fat, you know, while you are awake before you go to work. And always do that exercise. So in other words, and I, I, I completely agree in terms of sleep hygiene, to get into that darkened room. In fact, one nurse yep. wore sunglasses on the way home so that she would not get that trigger that, you know, yep. that we get from the light, which is it's morning, get up. So, and, yep. you know, it, it's all about trying to get some good REM sleep and then getting some air and some exercise before you're sure. back on that shift. Well, people make the mistake of saying, well, you know, I have to watch my show at night. And I say, it's 1130 midnight. You can't watch a show. You know, tape the show or watch something else some other time. You go to bed at 10, 11 o'clock, whenever you want to go to bed, and black out the room. Make it quiet. You know, mm-hmm. just be there with your thoughts. You know, think about your day. Think about the next day. Plan, you know, pray. I mean, do the things that relax you and calm you down so that you could get good, deep sleep. Now, have you found, as you've worked with folks with nutrition and diet in terms of their health, health that their sleep actually improves? Yeah, of course, because when you're fixing the things that are the underlying causes of a disruption of their metabolism or their ability to burn sugar and fat, when you change the things that cause the low blood sugar, when you bring the weight down and that takes the blood pressure down and you know your circulation's improving and you're doing the exercise, your body will function better during the day and will function better while you sleep. Now, if I'm someone who's recovering from an injury, um, I have other medications that um, I have to take with food. How do I deal with this exercise component and the type of diet we're talking about? Well, I mean, if a person can't walk because they've had surgery or an injury, then they may have to, you know, back it down a little bit. If a person um, has a little difficulty walking but can pedal an exercise bike because they're supported by the seat of the bike, then that would make some sense. Uh, if mm-hmm. they've had uh, surgery to the upper part of their body, well, it's different. You can still walk or ride an mm-hmm. exercise bike. Mm-hmm. So we always try to figure out something they can do to get the blood pumping because that's ultimately important. Because as you get the blood pumping from exercise, you're delivering oxygen, vitamins, minerals, and hormones to all your tissues. Critically important. So you're really you're really making one point very clear, and that is just cutting calories and not getting into some sort of way of moving your body is not going to do it. You've, we've got to no. add some sort of component. And it's, it's, I was just mentioning to someone today, they now have a lot of men and women are standing at their desks. Even standing yeah. rather than sitting all day is a bonus in terms yeah. of uh, some sort of body exertion and some sort of movement. Sure. Well, if you have a uh, half-hour break for lunch, as many people do, you know, you have your protein shake and go for a half-hour walk. Walk around the building, oh, do laps. I mean, there's always something you can do. To keep your body moving and to keep your body, you know, in a better, better frame, you know, healthier. You know, people understand what we're saying, but they don't apply it to themselves. You have a car, you know, most people, they have the car washed now and then, and they'll change the oil and et cetera. You know, they'll take care of other things better than they take care of themselves. Now, back in the days, and if you want to get an, an antique car or something that requires a little more maintenance, you can't just wash the car, expect the engine to run better. You may have to change the spark plugs, change the oil 
check this, check that, check the transmission, you know? So we understand the need to look at every part of the mechanism. Look at your house. What if you have a problem with the gutters or your heater or your air conditioner? You have to do maintenance on that to make sure all of those components of your house are working well, but the same thing holds true for your body. Mm. Okay. You know, we it's really so important what you're saying, and, and we'll be talking about more ways to motivate in our next segment. You've been listening to Psych Up Live. We're here with Dr. Christopher Calipe, and we're talking about diet, the best ways to approach healthy weight loss, the components that you have to bring in. Dr. Calipay is an osteopathic physician. He's in New York. He always takes a comprehensive medical nutritional approach as part of the way he addresses his patients. Stay with us. We'll be right back to talk about stress and eating. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time. 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking with Dr. Calipe about dieting, and we're going to take up the question of why, after stress, do some people gain weight and some people lose weight, and they could be people from the same family? Dr. Calipe, what would you say about that? Well, stress has different ways of acting upon your body. Stress can affect your brain chemicals, your neurotransmitters. Stress can raise cortisol. Uh, For some people under stress, they're using up the hormones faster than they can make them, so they end up with deficiencies of hormones and even some deficiencies in nutrients, and their body is thrown into a little bit of a shock. Mm -hmm. That can go away whether people will gain or lose. Now, psychologically, as you well know, when people are stressed out, they don't want to restrict their diet because it becomes more of a job, and that makes them feel worse. They want to eat comfort foods and carbs and fat and pasta, macaroni, and cheese, and whatever else. Right. Because it makes them feel like I'm going to do what I want because I have no control over the other stressful situations. I'm going to do what I want with my food, and that's where they gain weight. So 
So right. I understand that. And if people feel better doing that temporarily, okay. But then we have to gear them into turning it around to empower themselves to control their diet, to do the exercise or increase the exercise, to feel better while they're walking, to get some more energy. You're delivering great vitamins, minerals, and hormones to your tissues with the exercise. So we have to take that little hitch or roadblock and turn that into a terrific mechanism to make, you know, you rise out of the ashes like the phoenix. So you right. can take that first that. It's just understand psychologically why that's happening. It's interesting. A study showed that after stress, women want to spend more time with friends to relieve stress, and men tend to go to exercise. Well, the downside is women go with friends, but they don't exercise enough. So we might say, if you're going to be with friends, walk, as well as have some breakfast together. And men who will go to solitary exercise don't end up with that network of support. And so... The whole idea of exercising with friends might be something that would help everybody, even if it's just walking. It's always a great idea because you have somebody who's working at the same goals with you. You push them a little bit more. They push you a little bit more. Now, historically, men, you know, when they're kids and brought up to be adults, are meant to externalize everything and not to be emotional, not to be, you know, interested. So that's what's gone on forever in almost every culture. and in the history of the world, but women are taught to be introspective, thoughtful, uh, thought to be inclusive, and are far more, um, and I call it the mom complex, the mom syndrome, rather, where they bring people together and they take care of other people and take care of each other. So they're, they're far more um, likely to get people together than are men, but I think that that's drawback that men have because I think when men do that and they either get together with their family, get together with friends and do the exercise with family or friends, then you have a far greater bond and a greater ability to continue the activity. It's absolutely true. I I like what you're saying. Now, one of the things that people have said to me is when they become somewhat demoralized or one of the reasons, Dr. Calipay, they don't want to start a diet again is they'll say, I've done the Jenny Craig thing. I've done Weight Watchers. And you know what happens after six months. Uh, I'll lose it. And then I'm back with the weight, oh, yeah. putting the weight back on. Now, maybe we can explain that. Yeah. The obvious thing there is that they haven't changed their body's craving mechanisms. Because when they do a calorie-restricted diet, yes, you can lose weight. But when you go back to the foods that you had or the lifestyle that you had, you gain everything back. However, and I've seen this over many years in my practice with many thousands of patients, if you teach them the underlying causes, the underlying mechanism, the insulin problem, low blood sugar episodes, you teach them to exercise, you give them the tools to correct the mechanism, they don't gain the weight back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even if they do gain a little bit as they get older because their hormones are declined, they can go right back to what we taught them and do the low carbs and the exercise and get the results. So it's really learning about the problem rather than just using some temporary fix. So if I was someone who lost the weight and now something happened and I'm very depressed and I don't want to do anything, if there's anything I should do, it's start walking again and reinstate the diet. But even if I started with the walking, that would be a good first step. Of course, because you always feel good when you're walking briskly because you're sucking in tons of oxygen and delivering your vitamins and hormones. So absolutely, mm-hmm. that's the first step. And, I, and I've searched over years to figure out what most people have is a very simple common ground. And what I've been talking about for years is just to walk around the block. Because yep. psychologically, it's so easy. There's the corner. You know, it's <laughs> minutes away. So you walk briskly, yeah, you hit the corner, there's your first mark. You kind of pat yourself on the back subconsciously. Then you look to the right or to the left. There's the next corner. So you walk faster to try and get there faster. You could look at your watch, do a stopwatch. I want to get to that corner in so many minutes. But then you can go slower and fast, fast, slow, fast, fast. But it becomes a game. And because you're hitting your mark four times within moments, it's a lot better than necessarily having to go to the gym and sit on a treadmill or walk on a treadmill you know, and be bored out of your socks or, 
You yes. know, I want people to get outside, you know, get outside, walk, see, smell, you know, experience. I have even worked with folks who have knocked on other people's door and, and walked the other person's pet. I mean, anything yeah. that motivates you to move, do it. Sure. Um, it. It's a good way to do it. Now, the other question that comes up is with with the change of diet, depending on age, depending on whether you're male or female, what should people be thinking about taking vitamins when they do start a really serious diet and life change, adding this exercise we're talking about, what should they think of in terms of the most important vitamins? Well, in looking at every patient that I've ever seen over 30 years and testing everyone, you know, three or four times a year for vitamin levels to make sure their levels are perfect, everybody needs vitamins, number one. Number two, if you're going to change your diet, you may become deficient with this diet plan that you've decided to, to try whether it's restricting foods or not eating or fasting, you could create more of a problem for yourself. So typically when people want to do it on their own, I tell them you really should get a decent multivitamin that's got, you know, at least 20 or 30 different things in it. So at least you're covering yourself if now you're going to get depleted. And when you're Mm -hmm. doing the exercise, you do need the multivitamins to be there to be able to feed yourself. So you don't want to become more deficient with your activity. Okay. And, you know, when people say, I'll get it through the food, well, how many bananas are we eating and how many oranges are we eating? So you start to see that taking even just, as you say, a multivitamin, I know you go into much more depth as you personalize sure. protocols sure. for people, but at least, as you say, it's a start. It's something, it'll, it'll help to protect you. Now, people mm-hmm. have this idea that, oh, you know, potassium is important. I need to have bananas, but you have way too much sugar in the banana. It outweighs the benefit of the potassium. You're better off having squash, the squash uh, and uh, okay. tomato, better potassium in it, and don't have the sugar. Mm, okay. Now, in terms of if you were to um, speak to somebody who really said that from childhood they associate eating as the thing that brings them the one and only pleasure in life. Is there any yeah. chance of them dieting? What, how do you respond to that type of person? Resetting the mechanism. Resetting the mechanism, if they're used to eating carbs, you know, first thing in the morning and every minute, then as soon as they wake up, you have to change that and get them to drink something like a protein shake that is low-carb, will taste either like chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry. So psychologically, it still tastes like something they would normally eat. And then if you keep bringing the foods around and you have some berries, and you could have uh, a variety of other foods to fill them up, they're not going to want the sugary things. And, yes, you could have a little bit of whipped cream or you want to have sugar-free jello. You can do that because you're not really giving them the excess carbs, and you have to just sort of wean them away from that that high-carb intake, and they'll do very well. And one of the things, and I know uh, having heard some of your patients' comments, sometimes if you feel you can't do something alone, do together with friends, look up what you can do so you help each other with the information and motivate, work with someone like Dr. Calipai, work with someone who actually is in a position to keep you motivated. Because I often think, just like you can't go into a neighborhood you don't know alone, sometimes you need a buddy with you of some sort. That always makes sense. Doing things with someone else always makes sense, especially if that person is a good motivator uh, or because they're either your friend or your relative and they're there to help you. So, you know, having a support person to help you is always a great idea. And sometimes it shouldn't be the spouse. I've had folks over the years say, I'm going to start a diet, but I'm not going to tell him or her or whoever their partner is, because then they're going to expect things and watch me. And I say, okay, let's find someone else. Um, But, you know, couples, as we know, could get to expectations. Yeah, it depends on the relationship. Some people have a hard time dieting or some spouses inappropriately try to force Yes. They're giving another to die. It makes them feel bad. And as all of a sudden, you have this acrimony and this, these arguments. So um, if you can do it with your spouse or your loved one, great. If you can't, then you can. You know, it just depends upon the scenario. Now, let me ask, if you had to give our listeners a take-home message in terms of diet myths as opposed to sound diet advice, what would you say? 
first thing that comes to mind is to learn about your body. Go to a doctor, get a good physical exam, have them do blood work on your vitamins, your minerals, your hormones. Learn about what's happening in your body, number one. Number two, write down every day what you had for breakfast, lunch, dinners, and snacks. Number three, um, write down the activities that you're doing. Number four, write down the stressors that you have and figure out a short, intermediate, or a long-term way to handle those stresses so you can chop them down, knock them down, and categorize them and put them out of the forefront of your, your picture, your memory. So be introspective, do the activity, learn, you know, read, buy a book on low-carb diet, buy a book on exercise, you know, really make yourself, you know, empower yourself to be able to maximize your health. Wonderful, wonderful. Now, Dr. Calipay, how could people find you, hear your radio show, find you online? Tell us about our contact information for you. Sure. The phone number to the Garden City office is 516-794-0404. And the website is www.drcal.net. And we have lots of videos and 1,856 wonderful articles and studies on everything from vitamin A to stem cell therapy and uh, videos there. So there's a lot of information so people can get educated. So that's what I've done, you know, my entire practice is to try to teach people. It's a wonderful site. And, yes, the people speaking on it are integrating many of the um perspectives that you take and procedures that you offer. So I, I recommend that people definitely take a look at that. And they could hear the radio show um, on Saturday or Sunday, right? Yes, every Saturday from 8 to 9 in the morning on WABC, which is 770 on the AM dial. And every Sunday from 6 to 7 p.m., same thing, WABC 770 on the AM dial. Okay, you know, Dr. Calipay, I want to thank you for coming on. You've been a wonderful guest sharing this information. We've all been so confused about diet myths and sound diet advice, so it's really been a gift. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Call me anytime. Have a great day. Thank you. I want to thank my guests and my listeners. Remember, you can hear this in any prior show as a podcast on my host site, my website, and on the podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes, on Voice America, on Sketcher, drop me a line or a comment at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Mostly, until next week, remember, take care, thank you, and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week.